Hey there, Annie and Julie here. We just wanted to pop in real quick before we dive into this episode and announce our new show name. We're excited to announce that we're rebranding the Investing for Good podcast as the Life and Money Show. Now, this new name reflects the broad focus of our episodes and guests thus far and allows us to tell even more stories about living a meaningful and intentional life by design while also making an impact. We're extremely grateful for your support and listenership as we've grown this podcast and are excited to begin this new chapter so we can bring you even more valuable stories and insights. With that, let's dive into the episode. Separating fact from fiction, questioning everything, understanding what the real opportunities are, not the myths that we get conned into believing and why something should be this way or that way. I think it's a really important thing as an entrepreneur because Mm -hmm. opportunity is just everywhere you're listening to the life and money show a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with my fantastic co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm loving it. I feel like we (laughs) just wrapped our our year planning that we did. Remember, we were trying to map out the whole year and we, I think, met up sometime in November or December and then fell into COVID in the beginning of 2020 took our plans and just laughed in our faces. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. But we've found a way to, you know, pivot and mold and stay on top of everything. And yeah, it's been a good year. It's been a crazy, but good year. Yeah. Well, speaking of pivoting, I mean, that's so much a part of the story of today's guest, Kent Clothier. He is the founder and CEO of Real Estate Worldwide, among other companies. He's a serial entrepreneur, and he's just got an incredible story of just massive growth so early on in life. Handle you know, being at the helm of this multi-million billion-dollar company, mm-hmm. and really seeing this massive growth, and then losing it all, and then mm-hmm. picking up the pieces and starting over with an entirely new industry. Mm-hmm. But through it all, just being able to see things as they are. He talks about separating fact from fiction and really Mm -hmm. questioning things throughout and really being able to pivot and go with roll with the tides you know and Mm -hmm. I think he's just he's an incredible person and he's got an incredible story just so much like wealth of information I feel like you know in all the years of and he's like you said he started when you know he was 17 years old and just has so much experience behind him in terms of not only real estate investing but running businesses and entrepreneurs entrepreneurship. And one of the things that really stood out to me that I thought was so interesting and valuable and something we do in our business and we always think about is how he was really creating the opportunity and what he says, really driving the market. And he said the way that he did that was by questioning his clients and asking them what it is that they want and delivering that and finding a way to deliver that. And, uh, and you know, actually anyway. talking to people. And <laughs> right. And, but I think so many 
many times entrepreneurs get so caught up in what they want to do and their vision and how they want things to be that they completely forget about what the client actually really wants. And if they just took the time to ask them what they wanted and then find a way to deliver on that, that's where the big money is made. And that's how he was able to turn an $800 million company into a $1.8 billion company, which is wild. And at a young age of 27, I think he said he was, it's just, I can't even imagine running a business of that size at that age. I can't even imagine running a business of that size at my (laughs) age, let alone when you're in your 20s. And a lot of people are still trying to figure things out and um, not even knowing what's up from down, but just had so much information to share with us in terms of his experiences and what he's done and you know, compressing time. At the end, we asked him how his real estate changed his life. And it was all about you know getting that time back. And I feel like that was so much of why I've gotten into this, why you've gotten into it, why we want to encourage our investors to get into this and create passive income so that they can recapture life's most precious resource, which is time. And so the way that he had packaged that was so great. So yeah, it was a, it was a good episode. Yeah. For all our listeners out there towards the, be sure you listen all the way through in this episode, because towards the end, he taught, we asked him about COVID and what he sees coming down the pike. And he said, it's inevitable. Great fortunes are going to be made in the coming years. And so we said, well, what can our listeners do to prepare for that? And he gives some really actionable Mm -hmm. steps to take and things to think about. Oh, it was so good. And it's like I said in the episode, I wish that somebody had told me that earlier on in my investing career because I didn't discover his some of the tips that he gave us and to a few years ago. So you're ahead, you're getting that here ahead of the game and with super valuable tips for sure. Yeah. One thing he talked about was getting comfortable with investing out of state. Mm -hmm. So that's something that he and his companies do, but also something that we love to do and love to help our investors do through passive investing. So for all our listeners out there, if you're new to passive real estate investing through real estate syndications, be sure to grab a copy of our book, Investing for Good. We have a free copy for you. All you need to do is help us out and pay shipping and handling. To get all the details on that, just text the word book to 41404. And one more thing before we dive into the episode, we've been getting a ton of listener love through all of our reviews and all of our ratings. So we wanted to give a shout out to one person, a recent review. This is this comes from Josh H. And he says, Annie and Julie are great teachers, perfect mix of intelligence and fun. I love how they start the show with happy stories about their kids and family trips. Thank you for what you are doing. Well, to Josh and to all of our other listeners, thank you so much for your support and your love. Keep those reviews coming. We read every single one of them and hopefully we'll feature your review on an upcoming episode. All right. Well, without further ado, here we go. Here is our conversation with Kent Clothier. Kent, welcome to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Now, Kent, you are a serial entrepreneur, something that has always fascinated me. I think, I guess you could call me a serial employee. In the 10 <laughs> years after college, I had nine different jobs. I just couldn't quite find the right fit for me. And I was always chasing bigger impact. Of course, in hindsight now, it makes sense because I realized I probably should have been an entrepreneur all along. So I'm fascinated by your journey. So tell us, did did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was it something you grew up around? And was it always an aspiration of yours? Yeah, you know, I was actually raised in an entrepreneurial family. So my father owned grocery stores and convenience stores when I was a kid. And then ultimately, he and I started a very, very successful business when I was 17. So yeah, to answer your question, I, it's all I've ever known. I was never brought up for whatever reason, and sold what so many people are sold, basically going to work for somebody else and going in, going to college or any of that kind of good stuff. It was, it was just never, I always had those options, but it was never really presented to me like that. My, I was always presented to me as you're designed to do something big, go do it. And so it's kind of just been ingrained in me and it was a gift to me at a very, very young age. Wow. That's Fascinating. That is so different from how I was brought up. So tell me, so you were told from a young age, you're destined to do something great. You see all around you, entrepreneurs, creating businesses, making an impact. And so then you mentioned at 17, you and your dad went into business. Was that the first business that you were a part of? I had a couple little smaller businesses when I started off. But 17, I started a business with my father. It was an arbitrage business where being in the grocery industry, what, what we kind of figured out very quickly is that the suppliers, you know, there's 40,000 items in a grocery store. The suppliers that bring those items in, we noticed was pre-internet. So we noticed back in the day, they would deliver what are called deal books to the office every week. It's like a catalog, right? And we started noticing that the exact same item from one supplier to the other was being sold at two or 300% price discrepancy. So a case of Maxwell House coffee, for instance, was being sold to us $25 from one, from one supplier be $75 from another. And so being entrepreneurial and what have you, we decided, well, why can't we just buy it by the truckload from this guy and turn around and go sell it to that guy? You know, if he's selling it for 75, what about if we sell it to him for 50 and see what happens? And Little did we know we had stumbled into this little niche industry that existed, that $5 billion a year industry, we had no idea. But by the time I was 23, I was running a $50 million a year company. By the time I was 27, I had a much larger competitor of ours bought our company that was then based out of Memphis, Tennessee and moved me down to Boca Raton, Florida, and effectively threw me the keys to an $800 million a year company and said, hey, go run it. So by the time I was 30, I turned that company into a $1.8 billion company that was seventh largest privately held company in the state of Florida. And so I would say that my 20s and late teens were a little bit different than most. I had a, an enormous amount of success, but that didn't last very long because on March 14th of 2000, I had just turned 30 years old and I walked out of that business in a huff with my business partners, decided I was going to go and do it on my own. And so walked out of there, walked away from a really, really successful company. And over the course of the next two years, proceeded to lose every single thing I'd ever earned. So it wasn't all cupcakes and rainbows and sunshine. It was great on the way up, but I'm going to tell you the way down was a lot quicker and a lot more painful. Oh man. So, okay. You're going through your, you started 17, you're going through your twenties, you're hitting success after success after success. You're managing 
I would imagine huge teams, lots of, lots of capital employees. Yes. Wow. I cannot even fathom that. I mean, I cannot even fathom that in my twenties, I'm trying to think back to my twenties and the things that were going through my head. And it definitely wasn't multi-million dollar companies. I mean, what was that? Like, were your friends all also like in business and, or or were your friends like working? Ironically, all of my friends (laughs) left when we graduated high school, they went off to college, right? And they all wanted to go do what college kids do and have a great time. And four years later, they all came back and went to work for me. The guy that never went to, the guy that never went to college, they ended up working for the guy, that guy. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, I look back, I just turned 50 this past year and I look back at that time and it's just shocking to me, you know, knowing what I know now, the fact that these guys let a 27 year old kid run their business and then ultimately almost triple their business. It's pretty a huge vote of confidence. I actually did not appreciate it at the time. Ironically, I had been so successful for so long and had just never failed at anything. And so to me, it seemed very, very natural, right? It seemed like this was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I'd always moved up. Uh, This year was always better than the last year. And that year was always better than the year before that. And so to me, the natural progression is you just keep on moving. I did my, I had a very limited perspective on what was, on what was really going on around me. I mean, I was so jaded, almost ashamed to admit this, but I, but it's funny when I look back on it now, but I can remember right before I left. So I, and keep in mind that when I left, it was not premeditated. Like I said, that was in March. And so, but in December of that previous year, I can remember signing one of my manager's bonus checks. And I can remember signing that check and seeing that his year to date earnings were $250,000 and change. I'm ashamed to say, but I can remember thinking to myself, how does anybody live off of $250,000 a year? That's how warped my sense of reality was, is because success had just been such a natural part of my life. It wasn't until I got out of there. It wasn't until I actually failed. It wasn't until I got knocked down and got humbled to a degree that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy that suddenly I realized just how big a deal that really was, quite frankly. I mean, when I, when I was in it, I had no idea. Once I got away from it, then it kind of all started to click with me like, wow, this is, you know, you don't go and build $2 billion a year companies every day. That doesn't happen very often. But I just didn't, I had no perspective when I was in it. So paint a picture for us. So if you're looking at a $250,000 check and you're like, oh, how can anybody live on that? Were you living like, were you living the dream with like Lamborghinis and big no, houses I wasn't, I wasn't and parties? And- I wasn't that. <laughs> if they had social media when I, when I was that guy, I might've been that guy. <laughs> um, but I was the guy, I mean, I, I definitely lived very, very well. I lived on the intracoastal down in South Florida. So I had a house on the water. I had just gone through a divorce. And so I was a single guy that, that, couldn't just have one car, had to have four cars, you know, had the boats and the watches and all the, all the nonsense. And again, if I'm just being brutally honest about this, I mean, the reality of it is, is when you're making that much money and it's coming at you that fast, it really, because you, you just have very, very little appreciation. And I mean, I look back and I'm, I'm glad I went through it and I'm glad I was that guy because I had to be that guy to evolve to this guy, right? To know mm-hmm. what I never want to be again. But at that time, getting a three or $400,000 bonus check at the end of a quarter was just normal, right? It didn't mm-hmm. seem weird at all. I can remember going through my divorce from my first wife there when I was 27, 28. And I can remember very distinctly thinking to myself, I'll have it all back inside of a year. And I did. And I gave her everything right? I mean, that's how fast money was coming into my world. And again, I was 
If you put any 27, 28 year old person in that situation, and that is all they have experienced since they were 17 was this just enormous amount of success and everything they did, they were being successful at and they were being rewarded for and giving more and giving more and giving more and, you know, never stumbling, never falling, always succeeding. When you wrap it in that context, you kind of understand that or hope understand that it wasn't a matter of me being not, not grateful. It's just, I just didn't have any other perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any other life lessons to understand, you know, what, what the reality of my situation really was. So I'm curious to know when you think about growing a company from an $800 million company into a $1.8 billion company, billion with a B, what does it take to do that? When you think about the sort of characteristics, the, pers- the persona you have to have, when you think back on that, what was it that you think that really carried you through about Na- you and naivety. the person that you are? Really? Being naive. The single biggest asset that I had, and I applaud these guys for putting me in the role that they put me in because clearly they saw it, was I was not afraid to question everything. You know, I was extremely confident. I was extremely motivated and driven. And I was willing to look at anything and everything and question why it was, why it was this way. And I'll give you a really good example. Because at that time, that particular business, the business model was a grocery store chain or a wholesaler or a distributor picks up the phone and they call up and they say, Kent, Kraft just was just in here and they want to sell me 40 trucks of Kraft mac and cheese at X price. What will you pay me for it? And I won't even put it on my shelves. I'll ship it out the back door to you. But they didn't just call me. They called everybody else, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, or everybody else that was in my industry, all of my competitors. So in that moment, right then, we are literally, me and 12 other companies are all trying to buy and sell the exact same thing at the exact same time to the exact same limited pool of customers. So now it's a race to zero. It's who can afford to pay the most and who can afford to sell it the cheapest and get pinched. And I mean, that's just a horrible business to be in, right? Everybody's trying to sell the same 40 trucks who can, again, and so... Me walking into that business, I knew that we had a lot of customers that spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars with us. And so it took a 26, 27-year-old kid to come in there and say, why don't we just go ask our customers what they want to buy? Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that. If I could sell you anything at any price, deliver it on any day in any quantity to any city, what do you want to buy from me? And that one question changed that entire company because the moment suddenly we all of a sudden had all of this data. And we started not only getting it over the phone, we started getting it electronically. And then telling us, hey, we want to buy 100 trucks of Tide detergent. We want to buy 50 trucks of Kleenex. We want to buy 10 trucks of Heinz ketchup. Well, while everybody that I was competing with was trying to sell the same thing, I was going back and working it backwards and just saying, hey, you know, I don't really care about your Kraft mac and cheese, but if you can find me 10 trucks of Heinz ketchup, I can pay you this for it. And so now I'm dictating to the market creating the opportunity instead of waiting on somebody else to create it and hand it to me. I'm driving the market the way. And that one simple concept created a billion dollars a year in annual sales growth. And it sounds silly, but you would be surprised at how many businesses to this very day operate. And I would argue probably the vast majority of them, they will operate in what they think the customer wants, what they believe the market will buy, instead of just picking up the phone and asking a customer and saying, Tell me what you want me to sell you, at what price, where do you want it, when do you want it delivered, and let me go figure out how to get it to you. 
And that's just a really smart way of doing business. And that's what I mean by being naive enough and bold enough to ask those questions and not look at, not being awe of an $800 million company and go, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I get to run this, right? And Mm -hmm. sit back and say, no, there's gotta be a better way to do this. That arrogance really, really paid off. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because it always comes back to, for us in our business and what we do, it's always a question of how can we serve? How can we serve the people? How can we serve the investors that we work with? How can we serve the clients that we work with? And when we're able to ask that question from the people that we work with, we're able to really get into the nitty gritty. And then it, just like you said, it becomes a question of how do I deliver that? You've now told me what you want. Now, how can I get that for you? And when you just listen to what people want, it just makes it so much easier to deliver and grow business out of well, that. And, it, and here's the beauty of that, right? Is that also what I've learned in over 30 years in business is you can 100% as sure as we're sitting here talking right now, you can count on your competition's mediocrity mm-hmm. and yep. they will not do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. It is not that difficult to be amazing. All you have to do is ask your customers what they want and bring it to them because your competition won't even do that. That makes you look amazing in a world of mediocrity. It's yeah. just, I mean, most businesses, if you, not shouldn't say most, that's not true, but, but certainly we have been preconditioned as a consumer to get used to dealing with vendor, trying to extract as much out of us as they possibly can and provide as little value in exchange. Mm-hmm. And look at what happened with Wells Fargo. I think they just paid a $3 billion fine for basically screwing mm-hmm. over hundreds of thousands of their customers, destroying credit, destroying lives, mm-hmm. all these things were just insane. The airline industry. I mean, how can I, how can I nickel and dime you and charge you for every possible thing? I mean, think about Spirit Airlines is one of the worst customer experiences you could ever possibly have, but it's one of the most profitable airlines and, and the market rewards them handsomely for that right? And so every business in between kind of operates that way. It's, or not every business, but a lot of businesses operate in that world. So it's not that hard to be great right now. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. talk to your customer and find out what they want and bring it to them at a fair price. Yeah. I think it comes back to your story early on with the coffee or the Folgers or just not accepting things as they are, but really questioning things and looking critically at things and thinking, is this the way it really needs to be? Is this the only way that it can be? And, and really questioning that and not accepting things as they are. Yeah. I, I call it separating fact from fiction. If you believe that most of what you're told out there is a story, and, and, a, and again, I, I absolutely believe this, whether it is from friends or family or media or whoever, most of our beliefs come from somebody or something that has kind of been shared with us. But there's really good exercises, especially in business, to separate fact from fiction. We live in an amazing time now. We're getting real data and real information, whether it's about customers or markets or opportunities or it's never been easier, right? We walk around with an encyclopedia in our pocket in real time that's being updated to the second. And so separating fact from fiction, questioning everything, understanding what the real opportunities are, not the myths that we get conned into believing and why something should be this way or that way. I think it's a really important thing as an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. opportunity is just everywhere. I mean, you don't have to look very hard right now to find any number of businesses that, and as we're talking here and we're right in the midst of COVID, you don't have to look very hard to, to find some news outlet or, or somebody 
in our world talking about how this their business has gotten hurt in this. But if you look a little harder, you're going to find a lot of businesses that are absolutely thriving in this. You get to decide which story you want to believe and which, which way you want to focus, right? Both can be true at the same time. You get to decide. Well, speaking of those opportunities, so catch us up because we've spent so much time talking about your incredible decade of, in your 20s. You accomplished so much in your 20s. You, you learned a lot. And then you mentioned at 30, you decided to walk away. So tell us that story. What happened then? What was the opportunity ahead of you? And then how did you get to where you are today? Well, I had no, like I said, I was the guy that all of the success of that business was because of me. All you had to do was ask me, right? I was that guy. So I was just full of it enough that on March 14th, I asked for some equity back in the company that I felt like I was entitled to. They said no. And in a 30 second huff, didn't even, didn't even get my briefcase off my shoulder, walking into the office. I turned around and said, I quit. I walked out and thought I was going to go conquer the world and the world had a different plan for me. And I spent 22 months losing every single thing I'd ever earned, millions of dollars that just went away because I believed I could go start a business, a competitor in the business and at the expense of my former you know, partner. So I'm going after their employees, I'm going after their customers and I'm getting tied up in legal this and legal that. And just being a punk is what I was and ultimately got completely wiped out. And I don't mind telling you that it was the worst thing. It was the worst and the best thing. When I was in it, it was the worst. It was absolutely horrific. I would not wish it on anybody in my life to be that depressed. I mean, I was suicidal. I was, it was a really, really, really rough time. Yeah. But as fate would have it, I saw, I was basically down to a little over $4,000 in my bank account. And as early as two and a half years earlier, they'd been over upwards of over $4 million there. And so living on my girlfriend's couch, I saw a late night infomercial talking about real estate. I was just desperate enough to try to figure out how to go do something. We've all seen those commercials. I went down and something clicked with me. What they were talking about on the stage was being able to buy houses with no money and no credit. And what they were really talking about is a term that's called wholesaling. And effectively what that means, most people have, again, it's separating fact from fiction. What most people have no idea happens, just like they had no idea that what happens in the grocery industry, they have no idea this happens in the real estate industry, where you can easily go today. Anybody can do this. You can go and if you can find a property at a discount, for some reason, you've been able to befriend this home seller and they're in some level of distress. They might be going through a divorce and you know they just inherited a property for whatever's going on in their life. You can go in there and basically say, listen, I will pay you all cash for this house and I will close in 30 days, 60 days, whatever. And I'll put $500 down in escrow with you. And you just got to give me 14 days, inspect the property. And if you're able to successfully put that property under contract, what you have effectively done in that very moment is you created an asset. And the asset is the contract because there are millions of cash investors that are looking for those deals right there. And they will actually step into your contract. So they'll buy the contract from you. You've got a house that's going to be worth $385,000 once it's all fixed up. You got it under contract for $205,000. Okay, I'll sell you my contract on that house for $20,000. And I just make 20 grand and I never closed on anything. I never bought anything. I never actually did anything. All I did was just get it under contract and assign my interest in the contract to you. That happens over 110,000 times a month in the United States right now, $162 billion a year trades hands doing that right now. And so I had no idea that existed, but I gravitated to it because of my previous experience. And so 
I decided I was going to take a gamble and go for it. Spent money that, quite frankly, I was terrified of spending on a course because I made every bad decision up to that point for two years. But I got involved and I got excited about it. Did my first deal, made $8,000 in about a month. And then I was off to the races. I got excited about life again. I've done something in a completely different industry with no experience, no relationships, nothing, right? So it was very... That was a huge thrill for me. I'll never forget sitting in my car at the title company after I got done with it and crying in the car because I was just so overwhelmed with the emotion that I had actually done something that I'd never done before. And over the next year and a half, I did 91 deals, made over a million dollars doing it and got really excited about it. Got newly married, had a new little girl coming on the way and decided that in order for me to spend time with them, I needed to really turn it into a business. So all that prior knowledge and experience that I had in my 20s now came back into play and Real estate investing is a business that's just made up of hustlers, street hustlers. That's all they are. They run up and down the street. They flip a house here. They make a few bucks. Nobody had ever really treated it like a business. And so for me, I was going to change that. And before I knew it, I was flipping several hundred properties a year, had a team doing it. And ultimately that company, my father and my brother and I all kind of banded together. We started operating that company back in Memphis, Tennessee. And it turned into a company that still exists today called REI Nation that now flips about 800 properties a year, manages over 6,500 properties for investors from all over the world, operates in eight different cities. And it's allowed me to live where I want to live on the beach in San Diego versus but operate these businesses somewhere else. But more importantly, that what it really gave me was the chance for me to explore something that I never thought I would get to do. And I got really, really good through my experience in the grocery and the real estate space at understanding fundamentally how to take complex ideas and turn them into really simple process. And I started showing people what I was doing. And as I started showing them, more and more people were like, hey, can you show me? Can you show me? Can you show me? And it ultimately turned into Real Estate Worldwide, which is our company now. It's been around for 14 years and now taught over 60,000 people how to do real estate investing. And we have a software platform that we were the first in the industry that kind of breaks down all the data and shows them exactly where to buy, exactly where to sell, who the buyers are, who the sellers are. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud that my something I'm extremely passionate about is kind of waking people up and letting them know that the story you tell yourself is just that, a story. Somebody puts a simple idea in front of you and shows you the steps on how to get it done, you owe it to yourself to go. If you're serious about changing your life, you owe it to yourself to go and explore that fully. I'm curious, what year was it when you saw that infomercial? That would have been in 2002. 2002. So 2002. And where were you living at the time? I was living in Delray Beach, Florida. Oh, okay. So you were in Florida. So you see the infomercial, you decide to invest in this course and you go out and that first month. So what were you doing? You were just hustling. You were getting to know people trying to find a house to wholesale. I was, I was calling on classified ads for people that were looking to for sale by owner. And then, I mean, I just followed exactly what I was taught to do, right? I was so desperate that I wouldn't deviate. There was not a chance I was going to go and do, I become a critical thinker there. Just tell me exactly <laughs> how I can make some money. And so I called on classified ads, got a house under contract, and then in the exact same breath, turned around and started calling on classified ads out of the newspaper on people that were looking to buy for cash and found somebody that was willing to buy my contract right from me. Hmm. Made $8,200. I'll never forget it. Wow. That must've been the sweetest $8,200 you've ever made. There's, there's <laughs> never been a better check that I've ever gotten. I've got a lot, a lot of them since then, but that was the best one. <laughs> 
So, okay. So you watch this infomercial and I'll, I, you mentioned it, you know, a lot of us, we've all seen those late night infomercials and some of them hook us and we're like, okay, I'm going to take action on this one. But then what do you think it is that separates those who actually see success like you saw, and then you turn it into this huge company, this successful business versus those who buy and then oh, nothing happens? Most people that buy those products have a lottery winner mentality. They expect to scratch off a ticket and be a millionaire, right? I want to do as little as humanly possible, put as little effort as humanly possible, and hopefully I get the big payday. It's the exact same reason why 85, 90% of the people that buy P90X never use it. The same people that buy where we all have seen are it's either us or we know the somebody in our family or friends who all have the treadmill that's sitting in there. That's just a really fancy place for them to go dry their clothes. I mean, we all know that. And it's just a part of the human psyche, in my opinion, that most, and this is statistically proven, the vast majority of people that buy those products never see success out of those things. And it has rarely has to do with the product itself and just has to do with effort. That what changed for me, the magic component for me was that 22 months before, I was just desperate enough and, and at complete rock bottom and had no alternative. I think it's really powerful as an entrepreneur. If you never have an alternative, if you don't have a plan B, or as like we like to say in my business, when you burn the boats, that is a really, really powerful place to come from. When you understand that there is no option, there is no place to go except forward. You cannot retreat. You cannot go back. Failure is not an option. Falling down is an option all day long. But giving up, it just can't happen. When you are in that very powerful place, it's really important, I think, for people to understand that everything you need to be successful is in between your ears. It is either your biggest asset or your biggest liability. I tell people every single day, give me ignorance on fire versus knowledge on ice. I cannot tell you how many just overeducated, broke people I know right? They bought every course, they bought everything. They think, you know, they're waiting for the perfect thing exactly to get it just right, to get to this place where they can do this, right? And they make no money versus the people who have almost no education, but they have wild ambition and they have wild drive and they have wild dreams. And they're just willing to take massive action because they're fearless. Kind of like I was in the, in the grocery industry. That is such a massive, massive asset. And because then it really, because that's something that's very challenging to teach somebody, right? But if you give me that person and then you give them a couple strategies, a couple tactics, a couple things that they can execute on, they'll be some of the, your greatest success stories you'll ever have. Those are some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. Every great thing that you experience in your life right now, that phone you're using, Zoom right here, that was somebody's dream. That was somebody, you know, it had never been done before. That was somebody sitting there like, why not, right? Ignorance on fire. I don't know. Tell me why this cannot be done. Let's just go. If they were waiting for somebody to tell them, well, let's get this right and that right. I mean, that's just not the way the real world operates, but that's what most people believe. The way the real world operates is you have to have this burning desire in you, which can be cultivated, right? But it has to exist. It is the foundation. If it doesn't exist, almost pointless. You have to have this burning desire in you to just go at all costs and be willing to fail as many times as it takes. That's a key component, if not the component. So it's 2002, you, you wholesale, you, and then you start to see all this massive success. So I, I got to ask, so obviously everybody in real estate investing knows what happened in 2008. So I'm curious what happened to your business, if you saw any impact 
impact from 2008? And then also now, you know, with COVID and everything that's going on now, where is your business now? And have you seen any impact from the financial crisis of late? Well, by 2008, I owned I owned a real estate investing company and I owned a marketing company. So my investing company was taking off and was thriving. And the reason why that was happening is because behind the scenes, nobody really knew what we were doing, but we were only dealing with all cash buyers, right? Which happened to be extremely fortunate because if you remember what happened in 2008, it was a credit driven crisis. So as every one of my competitors were going out of business, we were exploding. Because one thing that always happens in a recession is that the people who have the cash come in to buy the bargains, right? So my business exploded. And now my marketing company suffered dramatically because all of the guys that were buying my services that were inside of the real estate space, they were going out of business, right? So I kind of had it on both sides. But that's actually how I got into the education space in a really, really big way because people could not figure out how we were not only in business, but growing by double and triple digits right through the recession. And so I started really teaching people what I was doing and showing them the same methodology I had used in the grocery industry, what, you know, reverse wholesaling, starting with the end in mind, go find the best buyers and then just give them what they want. So here I am, I go and find all the cash buyers and I just serve it to them up on a plate over and over. What do you want to buy? What neighborhood? What price? You tell me, I'll go make it happen. And so that's really through that crash that was very unfortunate for a lot of people for our particular business, not only on the investing side and ultimately in real estate worldwide and our software business. That's how those businesses were born right there because people wanted to know what we're doing. We had already developed a piece of software that we're using internally that helped us identify who all the best buyers were in any market quickly. Suddenly we productized that product or that software, took it out to the market and suddenly sold it to 20,000 people. Now all of a sudden we're in the software business. Now all of a sudden we're in their training business. And none of that was the grand, any kind of grand plan. It just kind of happened because of the circumstances. Fast forward to today, I can tell you that looking back on those times and where we're going right now, there's zero doubt in my mind, kind of alluded to it earlier, that great fortunes will be created right now, certainly through real estate and through a lot of other mechanisms, but absolutely through real estate. You cannot have as much cash coming into a market as the real estate market does. Back in 2008 to 2011, there were no institutional buyers. There were no banks and hedge funds and companies like Open Door and OfferPad and all these, they did not exist back then. And to know that all those companies now exist, all backed by hundreds of billions of dollars waiting to come into the market and, get, and take advantage of these opportunities. And you couple that with, we all know, we've kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit where the government has helped to subsidize and push off some of the distress that's in the market in the real estate market. But it's for sure coming when as these things are drying up and rent forbearance and foreclosures are starting to come back online. Unfortunately, people are apps in hard hit areas. Unfortunately, people are absolutely going to have to sell their house. It's just, listen, distress in the real estate market exists every day. I mean, there's last time I checked death, divorce, foreclosure, bankruptcy, unexpected medical bills, inherited property, loss of all those things exist regardless of COVID. The only thing that has happened is COVID has exasperated that. Only, you know, it's just added a whole nother layer. So there is a great deal of distress in the market that is pent up and is about to get released. And as it gets released, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that pick up a lot of really good assets. They're going to pick them up. They're going to help people get out of their houses and solve their problems very quickly. But don't kid yourself. They're going to do that at a profit for sure. And really smart people should be absolutely looking to take advantage of this real estate market right now, because no different than 
Many of the people that I run around with, and my peers, we all made, ultimately all made some really good investments during the last recession that have played out very well over the last 10 or 12 years. That is going to happen all over again. Do you think it's going to be at the same level as what no. happened? No. no. No, that was a housing and credit driven recession, right? This is not. Mm -hmm. This is a, I think, in nothing short of a, a basically a disaster and employment driven recession, right? Something we've never even seen before. You cannot deny that. Look at a market like Las Vegas. Las Vegas's entire business model is based off of let's get large groups of people together in conventions. And then have all these other ancillary services, nightclubs, bars, gambling, strip clubs, restaurants, you name it. I mean, the entire city functions off of this one premise. We have to get large groups of people together. That's a city that has gotten hit hard and is going to continue to get, hard, get hit hard for a very, very long time. And it's not alone. I mean, New York, uh, New Orleans, Orlando is another one. If you think about the entire economy of Orlando is driven off of tourism, right? Well, 25% capacity at Universal Studios, 25% capacity at, at Walt Disney World. All the hotels are at 25% capacity. Massive, massive layoffs. The airline industry is getting crushed in this. Rental cars, hotels, the, the travel, hospitality, and service industries at, in large part are getting crushed. But certainly there's a bunch of cities that are going to get crushed. I don't think every city is going to experience it necessarily at the level of some of those extreme cases, but there is going to be a lot of opportunity in a lot of cities here. Again, and I don't want to sound predatory. That is not what I'm in any ways trying to say. I'm just being matter of fact. As somebody who is an expert in the industry, I can tell you that these things will happen. And if you can create a win-win and help somebody out of a very difficult situation and give them an appropriate price for their house, while also creating a wealth building event for yourself, that's a win-win for everybody, right? So, so and I think, I think you pay attention. Speaking of which, so for the vast majority of our listeners, they are either current real estate investors or aspiring real estate investors. And so I'm sure many of them are listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, great fortunes are going to be made soon. Okay, so what do I do? What do I do? So what advice do you have for them in terms of if they're currently investing in real estate or they're sitting on the sidelines waiting to get in, what can they do now to best position themselves to take advantage of what's coming down the pipe? I would say what I would be doing today is I would get very familiar with two concepts, right? Well, number one is get very familiar and comfortable with the idea that your backyard is probably not the best place to invest. Chances are. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable investing out of state or out of area. But I can tell you, if you are sitting in Buffalo, New York, and that's the only place you want to invest in, and there are fortunes being made all over the country, it would be wise and in your best interest to not only do your research and understand the hardest hit areas and what the opportunities really are, but start aligning yourselves with companies that operate in those areas and can help you through partnerships or even like a business like ours, which provides complete you know, kind of turnkey services to allow you to participate in that. The second concept I would get really familiar with is even if all you're looking for is really kind of an income opportunity or at least exposure to the market is virtual wholesale. We introduced this concept a, a while back. And I think what most people that at least that I run or that I work with, they up until this point would never have believed that you can actually live one place, put a property under contract completely over the phone, never walk through the property and turn around and flip that property for a profit to a cash buyer all over the phone or using technology. But that's the world we live in today. 
And the beauty of COVID is it's just kind of created that where it's becoming more normal than it's ever been, right? There's a lot of people that don't want you to walk through their house. There's a lot of people that don't want you to come to the house. There's a lot of people that they're perfectly okay. Let's, let's talk over the phone. Things that may have not have been completely kosher at the beginning of the year are 100% on the table right now. And I have a lot of people that I work with that I coach that they've literally never sat down with a cell. Everything, every deal they've done, hundreds and hundreds of deals. I have a couple of guys that I work with out of Canada and they do virtual wholesaling in Austin, Texas and Atlanta, Georgia. They've never been to Atlanta, Georgia, number one, yet they've done hundreds and hundreds of transactions. And they've only been to Austin a handful of times and they've never actually sat down with a seller ever. They wouldn't even know what to do face to face. I mean, it would be, they'd be nerve wracking for them. Their norm because they're in Canada is everything's always done over the phone. So again, separating fact from fiction, they just don't know what they don't know. It, to them, it's perfectly natural that in three years, they've done five or 600 deals, every one of them over the phone, every one of them DocuSign, every one of them, somebody needs to go take a look at the house, their services, they just send somebody out to go take a look, pay somebody a couple hundred bucks, whether it's an agent or whether it's a company like we go look or whoever, this is all doable. Not only is it doable, it's happening. And so I would say get really comfortable understanding that probably the best deals and the best opportunities for you are not in your backyard. And two, I get really comfortable kind of as a subset of that, of potentially finding and flipping properties in other markets. Because whether you use a system like mine, which is called Smart, which will show you who all the buyers are and what the market is and who the sellers are, just kind of use work inside the system and connect them. Whether you use something like that or use some other tool, the reality of, as we've talked today, is 100%. If you've got a phone and a laptop, you can do this business. We'll get back to our conversation with Ken in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Kent Clothier. 
That's such great advice. I think had somebody told me that earlier on in my real estate investing journey, as far as investing out of state, I probably would have seen much more success earlier on and been able to take advantage of all of the opportunities that were there earlier in the market cycle. I didn't discover out of state investing until 2016. And right. so I was kind of late to the game at that point. So anybody out there who's listening to this, heed that advice and listen to what he's saying, because I didn't discover that until many years after I had jumped into real estate investing. And it takes time. There's a learning curve to gain comfort around investing, not in your backyard, not being able to walk to the property, not being able to look at the seller in the eye and do a face-to-face, table-to-table kind of a transaction. So gain comfort around that now and prepare for the upcoming opportunities. Well, let me, one, let me, let me just say one other sure. thing there. I, I, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but imagine, you know, here's the best way I could tell somebody to get comfortable with it. Probably most people have bought a stock at some point and they might own several stocks. Imagine if Warren Buffett or whoever, the only way they would buy the stock is if the company was based in Omaha or Nebraska. Right? That just doesn't happen. Why? Because mm-hmm. value is everywhere in all these different markets, shapes and sizes, companies, whatever. Professional investors do not invest like that. It is not based on geography. It is based on the fundamentals. If the math makes sense and you have good partners in place to operate what you're trying to get done, that deserves you to take a look at it and potentially invest in it. Awesome. I love that. One thing I did want to ask you before we wrap and get into the impact round is around your company that you have with your family and the REI Nation company. I am familiar with the company. And I think one thing that always has stood out to me about REI Nation and the company that you guys have is the culture that you guys have created there. And it's really, really impressive. And I'm just curious, where does that come from? Is that something that you guys have always done in the businesses that you own? Is it something that you wanted to instill in the real estate investing space? Where does that come from? That is 100% my father's making, right? He deserves all the credit. My father's a quirky guy. There's a reason I'm in San Diego and he's in Memphis, Tennessee, right? We are, I'm kind of a, I'm a very, I'm a facsimile of him and we would be going toe to toe every day, right? So, but he's great at a lot of things. And one of the things he's especially great at is that he was raised in the grocery industry and he was raised in an age, they bagged your groceries right there and they always put them in the basket and they always took them out to the car and they always put them in the trunk for you. And it was all about the service, right? It was always about uh-huh. creating yeah. that customer experience. And Yeah, he's very, very dialed in on making sure that there's intrinsic value in that organization everywhere, that it actually matters to do business with the company Mm -hmm. and not for any of the practical reasons. I mean, the practical reasons will kind of take care of themselves. Hey, I can buy a house. I can sell you a house. I can tell you this price. You're going to get this return. That's all the practical stuff. Creating a situation to where somebody feels like they're connected to a community. They're connected. They have a relationship with their customer service representative. They're getting anniversary cards and birthday cards and gifts. And I mean, it's really all about creating this tribe and this community and keeping it very close knit instinctively. I mean, that clearly made a really big impression on him as as a young man. And he's Mm -hmm. continued to try to cultivate that in that organization every single day. So he deserves all the credit. Well, it's impressive the lengths at which the company goes to create that customer experience. And I've only heard nothing but great things about the company. So I love that. I love hearing that. It's amazing. All right. Let's move into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing. Investing in yourself. So what is one way that real estate investing has helped you have a more successful or a better life? Without a question, I mean, real estate investing has been my entire life. So, or my entire second life, I should say, 
Creating passive income is an amazing way to take a great deal of pressure off of you. Mm -hmm. Creating active income through a real estate business, like what we have done here and creating a real business around it, requires leverage and it requires people and processes and automation. But what all that does, and the, and the single biggest value that it's brought to me is what all that does is it compresses time. It allows me to focus on the one thing that matters most to me, and that's time. I'm in the business, you know, you guys asked the, the question earlier about the Ferraris and all the other stuff. You know, there was a time when I would collect stuff. I'm not in the business of collecting stuff anymore, right? I'm in the business of collecting moment and I care about time. And so real estate has allowed me and specifically whether, again, whether it's in the software business, whether it's in my education business or in my actual real estate investing has always allowed me to create time and space for the things that really matter. I love that. That is exactly the reason why Annie and I have come together. It's why we do what we do at Good Egg Investments and why we do what we do here on the show as well is time is our most precious resource. And to be able to find a way to leverage that and get more of that is an incredible thing. I mean, it so is all around our office. I mean, you guys can see the sign. Hell, it's tattooed on my arm. I mean, I don't wear a watch. I wear, I wear a wristband that says the time is now. And I'll tell you what, that I got, once I got rid of those fancy watches and I started wearing this a long time ago, every time I look down at my wrist, that sucker's always right. So it is the only yep. thing that matters. Yep. I love that. All right. Second question, investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or, or life hack or something you might be able to share with the audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? Get really comfortable. Just kind of echo what we just talked about. Get really comfortable using leverage. And what I mean by that is that you will never achieve any level of freedom at all unless you get comfortable investing in leverage. Leverage comes in being able to acquire properties. I mean, we all know very financial leverage. We all understand what that is. But if you're trying to build a real estate empire, it's going to require people and it's going to require resources and it's going to require you investing in time. It's going to require you creating systems and processes and what I find over and over again with especially brand new investors, brand new entrepreneurs, is that they are very uncomfortable letting go of the reins because they're so focused on the money, right? I need to create the income and therefore I, I can't go and invest in leverage, understanding how powerful that one concept is and how it pays benefits for a lifetime. And so the best advice I can get is get really, really comfortable with firing yourself as often as you can, creating massive leverage everywhere you can, because it will just create freedom. I love that. I feel like that was something I had to learn as we started to grow our business. I really had to learn to let go a little bit and hand I off some of the does, right? uh, yeah, Luckily, I learned hard. it at such a young age yeah. that it comes natural for me. But as I've gotten yeah. older and I've literally taught tens of thousands of people at this point, it is the most, the biggest sticking point for anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the, here's the hard truth that most people, it's the biggest irony and the worst part about the whole thing. When you're going from a nine to five in corporate and whatever, and then you're trying to make your entrepreneurial leap, right? You really have to step into this kind of hustler mode. You've got to be the person that's willing to yeah. do whatever it takes. Go, go, go. I'm going to, I'll stay up all night. I'll do whatever it takes. And here's the great irony. That person has to die for you to create freedom. It's the yeah. worst. Like what got me here mm -hmm. is the very thing that is going mm -hmm. to keep me from getting to there. Like I have to turn that person off. I have to make them go away and I have to be able to turn and say, 
Now I'm going to invest in leverage. I'm going to invest in time and people and resources and systems and all these things. And it's like, it's this great quandary. It's like, oh my God, but what's going to happen? You know, how am I not going to make money? How am I gonna... But the moment <laughs> that that clicks with you and you realize that, like you said earlier, time is really all you have and yeah. you get a choice. And if you want to have more of it, then you're going to have to do the things that matter now. When you, when that finally clicks, it's amazing. So good. Oh man. I'm going to have to listen to this again, <laughs> again and again. So good. All right. Last question is investing in the world. What is one thing that you're doing right now in your real estate investing that's making the world a better place? Well, we are very, very big on giving back inside of our community. Every year we do a, a program called 1000 Layaways. We do this and we encourage all of our, our entire tribe, 300,000 people here to go out and anonymously go pay off layaways for, it used to be at Toys R Us, but whether it's at Walmart or Burlington Coat Factory or Kmart, it doesn't matter. Go anonymously pay these off for these kids that quite frankly, I mean, it's so humbling when you realize how fortunate most of us really are comparatively speaking. That when you see some parent that has gone and put a $50 toy on layaway for eight weeks and they're paying four, five, six dollars a week and struggling to make that happen, that's very eye-opening to what is really going on in the world out there. And so I'm excited, very happy that we've been doing this now for about 10 years and we've paid off tens of thousands of layaways. I mean, we, a couple of years ago, we actually went through here and cleaned out two or three Toys R Us. Last year, we did the same thing in Burlington Coke Factory. It is a, it's something that we're, I believe my kids need to see. It's something that helps ground them. It helps to ground me, to make me uh, really never lose perspective on how fast all of this can be gone. We also support Charity Water and build wells, donate a lot of money to building wells all over the country. I mean, all over the world, I should say, to create water for areas that do not have access to clean water. And then probably the most profound thing that we've done that I'm very, very excited about is that about eight years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti. I had a friend of mine take me over there and if you've never been, it's one of the most shocking places you will ever experience in your life. It is destitute, does not even begin to describe that. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, second poorest in the world. And when you go there and I witness mothers with babies in their arms, literally drinking out of drainage ditches people's very proud people taking me to their homes and their homes are blue tarps wrapped around four trees blue tarp that's their home and this isn't a tent this isn't temporary no this is where we raise our family and that had a big big impact and so i partnered with frank mckinney a couple years ago and we recently completed our first village about three months ago there where we raised a quarter of a million dollars and built 40 homes there for 40 families, drilled the well, built the school, built the community center, provided the livestock, provided the farming. I mean, to make sure that this particular village, these particular 40 families will never have to have any kind of water ever again. I 100% believe that we are here to create impact. That's what I believe. I do not believe we are here to take more than we give. I believe that this will be a life very well lived if by the time... I'm done. If I was to expire today, my hope is that somebody out there that I've had an impact on their life will get on a plane and fly out here to my funeral and walk up to my two little girls and say, I just want you to know that your dad mattered. And that's what I am trying to do every single day in every way that I possibly can. So this is a big, big part of who we are. Kent, you are absolutely an amazing human being, full stop. I mean, you are so inspirational. I'm hugely inspired. I'm sure all our listeners are too. So if they wanted to follow up with you, learn more about you, all that you're up to, maybe learn more about your educational offerings, what's the best place that they can go to learn more? 
probably the best, easiest place to find me is going to be on social media, right? So if you just go on Instagram and go to at Kent Clothier, you'll find me right there on Instagram. Make sure it has the blue check mark. Every once in a while, somebody tries to clone our page. Same thing on Facebook. Just find me there. Or you can just go to kentclothier.com or reww.com, or we talked about it a minute ago, reination.com. One of those places, you'll find me. Kent Clothier, founder and CEO of Real Estate Worldwide. Kent, thank you so much for sharing your infinite wisdom, this inspiration, your mindset, all of your energy and your incredible experiences with us today. Thanks for having me guys. You've been listening to the life and money show, the number one podcast for people who like you are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.